Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Gregory Peck. The world never seems as fresh and wonderful, as comforting and terrifying, as good and evil, as it does when seen through the eyes of a child. For a writer to capture that feeling is remarkable. And perhaps that is why one book in the last few years has been so warmly embraced by tens of millions of people. To Kill a Mockingbird, winner of the Pulitzer Prize and just about every other award a book can win. And now, happily, To Kill a Mockingbird becomes a motion picture and its memorable characters come vividly alive. That Scout, some people call her Jean Louise Finch, but she insists on Scout. And that's her brother, Jim. Just a boy until the day he learns there is evil in the world. And Atticus Finch, the father, whose devotion to justice places him and his children in jeopardy. I've been appointed to defend Tom Robinson. Now that he's been charged, that's what I intend to do. You've taken his... You'll excuse me, Mr. Ewell. What kind of man are you? You got children of your own. Atticus, Jim says his watch is going to belong to him someday. That's right. What are you going to give me? There's a pearl necklace. There's a ring that belonged to your mother. You want to tell us what really happened? I got something to say. And if you ain't going to do nothing about it, then you're just a bunch of lousy, yellow, stinking cowards. Hi right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema. I'm your host Jimbo, and today joined once again by Kyle Zaner. Kyle Zaner, welcome to the crib. Uh, today we are going to be talking about a heavy movie. Um, it is considered the number 34 greatest movie of all time, uh, but this movie covers a lot of. Uh, there's racism. There's uh, mentions of rape. Uh, there's animal cruelty. Uh, there's disabilities, uh, people with disabilities. Mm. There's uh, just a lot, a lot of stuff in this movie. A wide range of serious and heavy topics. <laughs> yeah, it is. This movie, it's not for the faint of heart, but it is a good movie. 
Um, yes. So Kyle, and of course we were talking about the great To Kill a Mockingbird starring Gregory Peck. Um, so Kyle, before we get in, I'll give you this uh, easy question this week since this is such a heavy movie to talk about. Um, what is your favorite courtroom movie? Courtroom movie. Jury duty does not count with Polly Shore, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go, going to the clear other end of the, the, the tone the spectrum, and serious, yeah. seriousness. Uh, probably Liar Liar, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Um, I would probably say probably going. 12 Angry Men. Um, 12 Angry Men, also, yeah, excellent movie as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's the kind of same movie vibe I get from this movie. Yeah, Although, I, this I is that. my first time watching this movie, so when it started... I was like, what am I watching? Yeah. I believe I actually watched this in school once. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I had a, yeah, I guess I had a pretty progressive thinking English teacher who was willing to risk it with the students, but I'm pretty sure we, I watched How to Kill a Mockingbird for the first time in school, and I've probably seen it at least uh, at least one more time after that, too, um, just my, in my regular life, and uh, then, of course, for this last two weeks. Okay. So. And so, just, mm-hmm. to, just to clear this out of the way, there is some use of some words in this film that we do not agree with derogatory Heavily. racial slurs just yes. you know as expected for the subject matter and the time period right you know um so just if you go to watch this just be leery and cautious of some of the stuff you will hear some of the mannerisms you'll hear um it like we say at the beginning in our disclaimer it's different time different era um so that stuff is not acceptable on my account Kyle's account uh shouldn't be on anybody's account yeah so, but we wanted to make that clear because this is a heavy movie, but it is so Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch plays such a great human being in this movie that you can't help but love the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. yeah, and I might try to find his acceptance speech because he won an Oscar uh, for this movie. I might try to put that in at the end of this uh, session. So uh, okay, be on the lookout for it. but All he right. is just. Like humble, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> so um, I could start rattling about this for a while, but Kyle, let's just go ahead and start talking the, about To the, Kill a the, Mockingbird. Okay, the, To Kill a Mockingbird, um, released actually on um, various states and times, but first released in 1962, um, How to Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, had a budget of just $2 million in 1962, um, and the equivalent of about $18.5 million today. And opening weekend, it only made about... Three oh three hundred fifty-seven thousand dollars. So a very uh not a not a big opening weekend, and gross um, worldwide was uh five hundred ninety-nine thousand dollars, which would be equivalent to about five point five million dollars today. So not an incredible amount of money, but uh, it definitely just not a huge box office smash. But also because of the seriousness of this film, it's kind of hard to you know get families in to see it necessarily, as you might understand. Um, so. Um, brief plot summary, just in case anyone who hasn't seen it itself. A small town Alabama, 1932. Atticus Finch, played by Gregory Peck, is a lawyer and a widower. He has two young children, Jim and Scout. Atticus Finch is currently defending Tom Robinson, a black man accusing a raping, accused of raping a white woman. Meanwhile, Jim and Scott... Jim and Scout are intrigued by their neighbors, the Radleys, and the mysterious, seldom-seen Boo Radley in particular. And uh, then, uh, yeah, that's um, brief stuff on the uh, technical details here. We have a runtime of 129 minutes. Pretty long film, considering especially for the era of 1962, how many films are going for the whole um, over two hours limit. Um, Color info, this is a black and white film. Aspect ratio, this is 1.85 by 1. 
and sound mixes mono from Westrex's audio recording system. Next up, we have the, of course, the excellent section of awards. Um, first up, um, we have a very recent award for the 2021 Online and Film and Television Association Awards, where it won the Film Hall of Fame Award um, to get um, nominated for historical preservation and all that kind of stuff. And it also won the very same award all the way back in 2003 as well. Um, next up, we have the 1999 PGA Awards for Hall of Fame Motion Picture, also being posted in the National Film Registry in 1995. Then we have... The not we have the Academy Awards where it won Oscar for Best Art Direction Set Decoration and for a Black and White Film. It also won Best Writing for a Screenplay Based on Material from Another Medium. Um, that was awarded to Horton Foote, who was not present for the award story, and um, Alan J. Pecula, the film's producer, accepted the award on his behalf. It also won the award for Best Actor in a Leading Role to Gregory Peck, to Gregory Peck, as Jimbo mentioned earlier. Next up, we have the Keynes Film Festival, where it won the Gary Cooper Award. I'm going with the Gary Cooper Award. What parents was. Uh, next up, we have the David D. Donatello Awards, awarded for Best Foreign Actor to Gregory Peck. So I guess David D. Donatello is a non-American award. Next up, we have the Golden Globes Award, where it won the Best Film Promoting International Understanding. Best Actor, awarded to Gregory, Pre Gregory Peck. And Best Original Score, um, awarded to Elmer Bernstein. Next up, we have the 1963 Laurel Awards, where it won the Golden Globe, Golden Laura, for Top General Entertainment. Then lastly, we have the Writers Guild of America Award, where it won the Best Written American Drama, relating to Horton Foote. Foote. Mm -hmm. Then, moving on to the cast of How to Kill a Mockingbird, we, of course, have Gregory Platt. Greg, it's a serious film, but I can't pronounce my, I can't help my pronunciations from being funny. And the <laughs> worst have, thing is, is, it's an easier name to do than you know, Gre Gre Gregory Peck plays Atticus Finch, who was in such films as Roman Holiday in 1953, The Omen in 1976, Cape Fear in 1962, Moby Dick in 1956, and The Bravados in 1958. <clears throat> Next up, we have Philip Alford playing Jim Finch. Um, he was also in the family we covered earlier um, in the past year. I'm um, Shannon Doa in 1965. And also, he was an Earl Hammer storyteller in 2015. Then we have John Megna playing Dill Harris, um, such movies uh, who appeared in such films as Go Tell the Spartans in 1978, The Boy in the Plastic Bubble in 1976, and The Ratting Game in 1984. Next up, we have Brock Peters playing Tom Robinson. He was in such films as Soylent Green in 1973, The McMasters in 1970, The Pawnbroker in 1964, and Ace High in 1968. Then we also have Robert Duvall playing Boo Radley. Uh, he was in such films, of course, as The Apostle in 1970, 1997, and Apocalypse Now in 1979, The Godfather in 1972, and his last film was The Judge in 2014. Next up, we have Rosemary Murphy playing Maudie Atkinson. She was in such films as Eleanor and Franklin in 1976, Dust in 2001, and Afterlife in 2009. Then lastly, for my casting here, we have Mary Badman, Bad Badham playing Scout Finch. She was in such films as Let's Kill Uncle in 1966, 
This and this the property is condemned in 1966 and Dr. Kildare in 1963. That is the cast of How to Kill a Mockingbird. Hmm. Yay. Jimbo, take it away from me. To take it away from you. Um, <laughs> Give me a second, I gotta so, breathe. So, <laughs> we're gonna start going through this uh, movie. Um, this movie was based on a book written by Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people f- uh, from her life are what she portrayed in the book. Um, so, she says that the only real person that was based on somebody totally true was Dill, and that was uh, sh- based on Truman Capote, uh, which we'll, we'll get to uh, here in a little bit in the notes. So, uh, mm-hmm. book by Harper Lee, which has now since been banned in some schools due to some of the language in there. So, just uh, if you're going to read it, make sure you understand that too. So, uh, Mary Badham, who played Scout, which that girl... <laughs> Got on my nerves. And then one thing about this movie, too, is the son and daughter of Atticus Finch, they call him Atticus. They don't call him dad, father, anything. And the deal, I think, says, why do you call your father Atticus? And the boy says, well, the entire town does it. I figured we might as well, too. So I was like, well... You know, so it's like kind of no respect for him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they don't they don't understand how respectable his father actually is. They don't they mm-hmm. just don't understand that from the beginning. And also, I think it's uh, it's granted Lee Harper did it in their original book, um, but also it's interesting for the film to tell the story from largely the kid's perspective intentionally. Um, I they, think it's all uh, narrated by uh, uh, Scout. By, by Scout, yeah. It's narrated by older, Scout. Right. Yeah, yeah, uh, narrating her childhood and how she viewed her father. Um, but also, like, it, it for the film, that gives a layer of kind of innocence to it, of uh, serious, serious problems through an innocent child's lens and uh, seeing the problems that way and not having the... Uh, the baggage of their own internal racism was like that in Tasha because like it, it's kind of like, you're like a kid doesn't understand those kind of things of those degrees of hate or how cruel the world can be and so to him to see the for for both those children to kind of see some of the absurdities in their own county in their own town well um, and, kind of and, firsthand and there's a lot of play on um well they're poor you know what I mean like mm-hmm. like like those two kids were entitled because their dad was a lawyer i guess making pretty good money uh their mother has died um you can tell when at the end when um they show the house that there's a portrait of a lady above the fireplace um we won't get to that part yet but that's their mom um the it's like the kids were entitled because they lived probably on the good side of town and there's 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 not only um, different races. There's also different levels of economic uh, value here because she beats up the. They they bring that one kid in to have a dinner with him. Remember? Yeah. Because he's because mm-hmm. she she gets in a fight at school yeah. almost every day, and, and you know. And he said that you know they give him basically a regular meal. What be considered a regular meal now? Like regular ham and yeah, it's like and roast, eggs and roast and, beef and stuff. Yeah, roast beef, bread, and all those kind of things. And he says like we've we've been eating squirrels and rabbits a lot recently. And this is a film that takes place in the 1930s after the Great Depression and the um, the Dust Bowl and those kind of things like that. And this is an Alabama town of largely farmers. 
who were impacted the hardest during that period of time. Right. So it's like no one's doing particularly well. Even 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 Atticus as the as the town lawyer, like he's making do. He's okay, but he's uh, by no means rich. Now, did it ever right say now. at the beginning of the film when that guy comes and brings the walnuts or whatever it is in that sack? Does it ever say? Because uh, he says it was for some legal work that your dad had done for me. Yeah. So that tells you what kind of man Atticus is. He doesn't just care about the money. You know, hey, give me whatever you got. I'll help you through it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, not only do you have that aspect of it, then a couple houses down, you have this old dilapidated house where they say there's a crazy person that lives in there. He gets chained up during the day, and he only gets to come out at night, um, which... When you first start watching this movie, I didn't know where we were going. You got these two bratty kids. I call them bratty, but you got these two kids that think they're entitled. And but the more you pay attention, um, it just it captivates you. I couldn't look away. I was watching this at uh, two o'clock to like four thirty this morning, yeah. so it's fresh on my mind. And um, we'll get to some of the other stuff in here too. So. Uh, so, uh, so Gregory Peck and Mary Badham, let's get back to where I was in my notes, uh, they became really close during filming, um, and they kept in contact for the rest of his life. Peck always called her Scout, and Badham always called uh, Peck Atticus. Oh, So that's they adorable. kept that thing the, Going entire, the entire life. life yeah. Right. And what a um, name too, Atticus. What a name. Yeah. Right. Grant, it is unusual for the kids to call their father not instead of dad call him Atticus, but still, his name was Atticus. That's so cool. So Kyle, when you come home, I want you to say, What's up, Atticus? What's up, Atticus? Atticus? See what he says before How you, you doing, Atticus? Before you get thrown across the room, probably. <laughs> um, which which I thought was also funny because it touches on um, the girl she gets in a fight again. She said, Atticus told me if I ever got in a fight again, that he was going to tan my eyes. Yeah. He goes, I, would, he I just, just got that rule. She's just, she's just sitting on the steps just in tears, you know what I mean? She knows it's coming. And mm-hmm. then um, this is where he has he has taken on the role of defending Tom Robinson. Tom Robinson. And one of the kids at school said something and used one of those derogatory terms that your daddy defends. Mm-hmm. And she's like, so I had to beat him up. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to go any. I'll leave that as it is. But yeah, I'm just saying yeah. there's it's a lot of lot of lot. There's yeah. a lot of sub stories and emotions going on through this whole. And, entire and they're program. all intermingled in a way. And it's in in Atticus himself struggles to explain to his children like right. the position that he's kind of not. You know, like because he's taking this call to duty to defend Tom Robinson, you know, that that puts his kids in a very difficult position. That's hard for them to understand. Like, you know, like granted, like you, you know, being in such a racist county and being the one man defending a black person in this neighborhood, you know, obviously puts you in a bad light. And then taking out your, and then the community's taking out on your kids. It's gonna be very difficult. And it's also difficult to explain to a child like how racist this community is mm-hmm. while still being in a community that, you know, I mean, it, you have that that delicate kind of. There's no good words about it, but it's like it's still like if it's a community that you've grown up in and you know people in, then you want to say you know the good side of everyone and all the humanity stuff like that. But time to time, it can also be an incredibly racist and uh, bad town for that kind of reason. So you have that kind of dilemma of like these are people here that I truly care about, but they do these incredibly horrible things to to um, uh, minorities, basically like that. Mm. And it's hard to kind of balance out those two things where like you you don't want to you, you feel 
it feels wrong to morally condemn all of them and tell them that they're bad people and that um, you know you just forget about them all. But you also can't say that I love them and care about them and I understand how much they care about me because you know the bad things they're willing to do to people they don't understand. Mm-hmm. So it, it is it is a difficult thing to, to you can't explain it to a child. Right. You just can't. That's just too that's too complicated. That's just really annoying. It's hard to explain it to a child. You know, not impossible necessarily, but just difficult. Right. So it's, it's hard. I'm getting off the top and going on a tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> And, you know, if you've ever seen any clips of this, maybe like on the top 100 movies on TV or something, show a little clip, I mean, you'll see the courtroom scene. But that is probably not even, doesn't even come into play until probably two-thirds of the movie in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have all these other stories there. Because I thought, oh, this is going to be a trial, kind of like 12 Angry, uh, 12 Angry Men, where it's a jury trial, you know, and all that. But no, that that just plays a minor role in a broader scope of this whole entire situation. So, um as I was talking about, if you've seen that um, courtroom thing where Gregory Peck gets up there and the trial's coming to a close and he's giving his closing arguments, basically, a summation speech, but run six minutes and 30 seconds, he did that entire thing in one take. He nailed it in one take. Six minutes, that means no coughing, sneezing, stuttering, just it's captivating what he did there. Yeah, yeah, me, me and yeah, we, 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 Jimbo told me this fact earlier today, and I was actually appalled. I was I was shocked, you know, that um, any director or cinematography would be content with having that one shot, even though it is a great. I mean, because there was what, how many like two hundred people in that room, if not more? Yeah, easily, easily that many people in that room. So you got to make sure none of the extras are doing something that like takes them out of the scene, anything like that. And then also, um, of course, the actor himself getting his best performance possible during that scene, and then having all that stuff, and like, okay, I guess we're done for the day, like. In a in a more modern production now, like that'd be a thing like you you would spend days upon that just that one scene to get it right in the first place, and so it only take one scene. It's like what do you do with the rest of your time? Like you know, in a modern production, like I guess we're all going home early today because we just knocked out the entire thing we, we scheduled out a week for. <laughs> right. Uh, Brock Peters, who played Tom Robinson in this film, delivered Gregory Peck's eulogy on the date of his funeral and burial, Monday, June 16, two thousand three. So this just goes to show you what kind of person Gregory Peck was. I mean, he obviously made connections with people because he kept. Uh, I think he's the, his great, or sorry, his grandson's named after Harper Lee, and then you have um, you know the the scout becoming friends with him. And now you have the guy he defended at uh, the yeah. trial, mm-hmm. given his eulogy in his real life death. So. Uh, that just you don't just do that for anybody. Yeah, yeah. And goes yeah, Gregory Peck and yeah, Greg Cape mispronouncing his name, I don't know why. But Gregory Peck is an excellent person. Um Atticus Finch, uh there's I can't, I don't remember the actual name of the real life um lawyer he was inspired from. We'll get um, there. That was actually uh um I believe it was Harper Lee's dad. Um yeah. I got him in the nose. That's, so. that's he's inspired by for the original yeah, the original written story, yeah. His his yeah, Harper Lee's father. I know that much. But uh he, he has a a bit more of a mixed history in terms of race relations, I'll say. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the official credited film debut of Robert Duvall, who actually had no dialogue in this movie. Yeah. Just and I did rap. not know that was him. No, you did not recognize you him like that. You will not recognize him. Yeah. Um, when I think of Robert Duvall, I think a man that was probably born old until you see this movie. <laughs> He's got like that Morgan Freeman or like Jack Nicholson look where it's like he was never young. He was always that old. Right. <laughs> Um, after being offered the role of Atticus Finch, Gregory Peck quickly read Harper Lee's novel in one sitting and called director Robert Mulligan immediately afterwards to say that he would gladly play it. Kyle, when's the last time you said read one book in one sitting? That wasn't that wasn't a comic book. I don't know that I ever have. <laughs> there you have comic it. Comic books included. Uh, 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, Not got five pages. Oh, I'll do this tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Brock, I need to read more. <laughs> Brock Peters, time officer, started to cry while filming his testifying scenes without rehearsing in this this way. And Gregory Pegg said that he had to look past him um, instead of looking him in the eye to avoid choking up himself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, that was a touching, touching scene. Uh, Robert Duvall stayed out of the sun for six weeks and dyed his hair blonde for the role of Arthur Boo Radley, who, according to the story, spent much of his life as a recluse. The character of Radley is based in part of Harper Lee's recollection of Alfred's son, Bullower, who lived with his parents in a dilapidated, mostly boarded-up house just a few doors away from the Lee house. His father kept him confined to the house after young Alfred was involved in an incident of vandalism. Described in the book and in the movie as leaving the house only at night because the sun hurt his eyes, that might suggest that Boo Radley suffered from albinism, which is a lack of pigment in the skin and the hair and in the irises of the eyes. Mm-hmm. But she did look like an albino in this. That that would make sense. Albinism would make sense. I, I didn't I didn't think about that initial walk. I didn't that. either. Yeah, yeah. But it is clear in his character work that he has a he, he has some mental deficiency of some degree, and that's why like he's largely get the fine just to avoid the risk of having an incident with right. later on. But also not a bad person anyway, which is <clears> the film. The so. watch used in this film was a prop, but Harper Lee gave Gregory Peck her, her father's watch after the film was completed because he reminded her so much of him. Aww. So it's adorable. She's just, he's just making all kinds of connections. Yeah, yeah. Um, Atticus Finch was modeled on Harper Lee's own father, Amasa A.C. Lee, an attorney in Alabama state legislator whose 1923 defense of a black client partially inspired the novel's trial. Like Amasa Lee, the character of Atticus Finch was not only an attorney but also a state legislator and a widowed single father. Gregory Peck met with Amasa Lee, then 82 years old, and formed a strong bond with him. Unfortunately, Lee died um, while the movie was filming, so Harper gave Peck his watch and chain, as we stated. Peck was also wearing the same watch and chain at the Academy Awards ceremony the following year when he won the Oscar for Best Actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gregory Peck's grandson, Harper Peck Vol, was named after Harper Lee, which I, I knew it was in here somewhere. Yeah, and I, I, I looked into the original lawyer's actually history a little bit, and there was some stuff where like he, like, he I, I. He doesn't strike me like Atticus actually seems like as a character at Pickett seems as me as, as a progressive man, um, kind of like you know, relatively um, wealthy for his community and also uh, privileged to not be racist and has a sense of privilege and that allows him to be not racist um, or something great. Um, the real life attorney also has a little more associations with with more racist people, unfortunately, and also and also defended an anti also opposed an anti lynch bill um, for federal law. So he had a bit more of a mixed history of like. He definitely had a. He wanted to make sure justice and the law was being maintained, but I don't see himself as. I don't see him as a particularly progressive ally necessarily in that kind of history itself. So it's a bit unfortunate. You know, right. Well, it's I really mean, come you, along with since then. It's inspired a great story, obviously. But if you but, have two dual things like that, you can defend somebody. But if you're in legislation, it might be totally different. You know what I mean? There yeah. might be rules. And laws that you want to pass or not pass, and then an attorney, you're doing your job. Things based get upon com- the evidence. Yeah, those okay. kind of things get complicated. I'm not going to say about like, but like, and there's like he does have mixed history, so I I don't feel I, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying like he was bad or particularly good mm-hmm. in on in either way of the spectrum of that. But he was just a man um, <laughs> of that time. Director Robert Mulligan learned quickly: don't do numerous takes when you have children on the set uh, because the cast members became less natural and spontaneous after the first take. 
That's true. I, I, I totally see the logic of that. Um, in 1862, I don't know what kind of like, um, also, like, also labor laws restrictions having kids nowadays, I know. So it may have similar laws back in the day, too. I don't remember in the 60s, obviously. But uh, Philip Alford told his mother uh, that he did not want to go to the auditions for the part of Jim Finch. But when his mother told him he would miss half a day of school, he immediately decided to go. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, well, I know. I got to totally go. fine then, go. obviously. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Atticus, Atticus Finch was voted as the number one screen hero of the last hundred years by American Film Institute in a special 100 years, 100 movies, 100 heroes, 100 villains. Hmm. Uh, the hmm. ca- character of Dill was based on Truman Capote, which I mentioned, who had been a childhood friend of Harper Lee uh, when he was sent to live with relatives in Lee's hometown each summer. Capote, or Capote, whatever you want to say, uh, in turn based one of his characters in his literary work, Other Voices, Other Rooms, upon his recollection of Harper Lee. So he paid it back by writing a book about her So in his book. Uh, the courthouse that uh, was copied for this film still stands in Monroeville, Alabama, and is now a museum dedicated to the book, this movie, and the life of Nellie Harper Lee and the people represented in this work. Road trip, Kyle. Yeah. Let's go check it out. Yeah, right now. <laughs> and that's it. Keep, uh, keep recording. No, we'll just get in the car. We'll go. <laughs> we'll just record it as we drive. Road trip. Yeah. Uh, Philip Alford had trouble eating certain foods for years afterwards, particularly bacon and eggs, as they had to eat their breakfast repeatedly until they got the scenes right. Ooh. <laughs> Man. I I remember a recent news story now. It was uh, the Suicide Ball movie directed by James Gunn. Um, John Cena wanted to eat. Uh, there was a scene that there was an eating scene. And John Cena um, insisted on trying to eat like an entire chicken tender in one bite. And they took like 30 takes of that scene. And he did it every time. So like by the 30th take, he just, there's this picture of just an absolutely miserable John Cena just looking just like, why did I do this? Why did I do this? Mm. Just cramming an entire chicken tender in his face every time. It's probably Absolutely. a deleted scene, dude. It's, I, I, God, I want to see that so bad. Just the, the, every single take, and just to see his gradual degradation. Sorry, go ahead. Move uh, the piano in Elmer Bernstein's score was played by John Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, James Earl Jones auditioned for the role of Tom Robinson. Oh, wow. Huh. He's like, obviously, I can see that, but also it's, just, it's such a, a unique thing to think. Like the actor potentially getting his beginning there or something like that. Yeah. Uh, with the death of Rosemary Murphy, who played Maudie Atkinson on July fifth, two thousand fourteen, Robert Duvall is the film's last surviving adult cast member. No, that makes sense. And how old is he now? Uh, Robert 92? Duvall, I believe. I believe. Yeah, ninety-two. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, the exterior streetscape of the courthouse on the Universal Backlot would later be reused with some minor to major modification as what, Kyle, do you know? No, I do not. As the clock tower in the Back to the Future trilogy. Oh, that, I read this. Yeah, I should have known that. I was, I was, I blink. The, they use that, 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 that. That set got a lot yes, of mileage in the whole. a lot of movies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> we just talked about it in another movie, not the Gremlins. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was also, there was aspects of it in Gremlins. So, yeah, as a, it was the movie theater from Gremlins. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, cast members, uh, Mary Badlam, or Scout, Boo, uh, Hecate, uh, Malaya, and Mr. Gilmore all appeared on The Twilight Zone in 1959 television series. So, you might hear from that from me and ADZ soon. Um, some of those people that played, if not already covered, I don't know. Yeah. How far have you guys gotten through the time? We're through season one. Uh, we're in just getting ready to start recording season two. So, ah, okay, yeah. coming up soon. Excellent stuff. Stuff to look forward to. And uh, both manner and appearance, Arthur Boo Radley uh, is nearly identical to Carl Billy Bob Thornton in Sling Blade, nineteen ninety six. Duvall played Carl's father in Sling Blade. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's a an unintentional sequel moment if you think about it that way. So that's, that's unintentional. <laughs> so you're saying that Boo reproduced is what? Yeah, you Boo reproduced yeah. and made Sling Blade. <laughs> it's Judge Taylor. A does, weird chronology of this. It's like this kind of films are kind of like gathered together in a weird way. Judge yeah. Taylor does not customarily thank the jurors for the service as is customary. Hmm. Okay. So I. I Minor courtroom errors, you know. If, like but, that, if, or... but if you, I was paying close attention to the judge, and then there's a guy that's like next to the judge, and he's over there just picking his fingernails. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're so uninterested. The verdict's already you already know. Oh what yeah, the yeah, no, they, they're by so uninterested. They establish very quickly that this is full Alabama right now, and uh, and that gives it a lot of native connotations. Unfortunately, in that history, yeah. uh, Dill claims that he won five dollars in the beautiful child contest and went to the picture show twenty times with it. This confirms that the cost of a theater ticket in the early 30s was 25 cents. And the movie that was playing in 1931, I believe. 1931. Dracula. Dracula. So he might have seen Dracula 30 times. 30 times, yeah. Hmm. The little alley where Atticus spends the night guarding Tom Robinson and Jill sits just left of the movie theater on the Universal Courthouse back lot, which can be seen showing... Um, in uh, Orgy American Style in 1885 and Cattle Queen of Montana in the 1955 scenes from Back to the Future. Hmm. So, we get more mileage out of that theater. And All the time, yeah, yeah. Just, I, I, I'm someone like, like, has it been ever like actually full-on reconstructed or something like that or, or tore down? I don't even know. Might have to look up the history of just that one set and see what just it have a Just do a whole show on the history of the That Universal one set, and see, yeah, the Universal Lot and see what kind of, how, how, how far it came along. Yeah. Uh, when Mayella Ewell is sworn in during the trial of Tom Robinson, if you look closely, you can see that she does not actually place her hand on the Bible. Instead, she lets it hover just above as she knows that the testimony she was about to give accusing Tom of assault was false. Ah, nice. A little thing. So, so Kyle, explain to me uh, when Atticus Finch says... Um, about his father saying he got a gun and shooting birds and shooting birds why not kill a mockingbird right uh yeah i mean uh i believe his explanation was that mockingbirds uh are it would feel unfortunate to think he was also using as symbology of black people during the time because everything but he's saying like mockingbirds basically they don't um they're not a pest in any kind of way they don't like um nest and farms like that causing pestilence and things like that and all they do is make music and they spread joy to the world and everyone around him because he said so it's you, a sin to kill a mockingbird he because, said you can you can you can shoot as many blue jays as you want yeah. remember so I, I looked it up so um in this story of innocence destroyed by evil, the mockingbird comes to represent the ideal of innocence. Thus, to kill a mockingbird is to destroy innocence. Mockingbirds don't do one thing but make music for us to enjoy, but sing their hearts out to us. That's why it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. Yeah. And so I, I would say, like, I, I don't think it works. I, I think it would be problematic if the mockingbird was just representative of Atticus' view of all black people. Um, but as representative of, of Tom Robinson specifically, it does work because Tom Robinson is a just a a kind and selfless person as presented in the story who's unfortunately been accused of a crime he did not commit and then is unfortunately murdered for it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is uh, essentially kind of like, you know, the, the Mockingbird is Tom Robinson when Atticus kind of tells that story to a degree. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird has taught us about bravery, injustice, inequality, poverty, racism, corruption, hatred, oppression, and how we should judge people by their character and nothing else. 
how the people we're, uh, we are scared of are often not very frightening at all and how those we view as superior or in charge are sometimes the difference. Um, so when you watch this movie, the um, during the court scenes, it's very obviously that Tom did not kill, uh, well, rape or uh, assault. beat up. Assault, yeah. yes. Sorry if I said murder earlier. Um, because, number one... His left hand, he has no use of his left hand because it got caught in a congen or something and he yeah, lost just, everything just out. He tore, the, tore the muscles in his hand, basically right. a completely useless body part of that. So point. there's that. He's, I believe that he's, right hand, he's right-handed because he throws something at him. Atticus Finch throws something, he catches it. Um, the dad... Is a known alcoholic and a southpaw. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And you see that by him uh, having him... He asked him to write his name down on this piece of paper. He said, can you can you write? He's like, of course I can write. He said, then write your name down. And he takes his left hand and he writes his name down on this paper, which you never hear anything about that. Mm-hmm. So there, to me, I've already made up my mind that uh, this guy is guilty. So the jury goes to deliberate. They come back in two hours, I think. and they, Which means they may have put up a fight or they may have just been in there and say, hey, we got to take time because we already know the outcome. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so they come out and they they all rise and says uh, Tom Robinson we find you guilty mm-hmm. of the accused or whatever and the judge is like okay well you're dismissed and he walks out the door or whatever so one of the most powerful scenes and I do believe this is uh, what Gregory Peck believes wanting the Oscar is that when he's packing up his stuff there's nobody else on the ground room court floor because at the ground room court floor the white people are on the bottom and the African Americans are above on, on a balcony level, with definitely. Peck's children are up there. Yep. So as he's walking away um, they all stand up in the balcony and a scout is still kneeling down looking in the banisters and the pastor I believe says Girl, you up. need to stand up. He said your daddy's about to walk by which I think was a sign of respect to him. Um, and it's just so now that we have a guilty work, and he tells Tom, he said, look, I'm going to pill this, you know, I'll go up uh, from here and we'll go to the house and I'll tell Helen, I think was her name, his wife. So um, he gets, he gets home, you know, and his kids are having a rough time with it. Um, Tom, or Jim's over there on the porch. And next thing you see is the policeman uh, pull up, the sheriff, whatever the sheriff, it is. I believe, yeah. or the mayor. And he I says, remember. can I talk to you a minute? So the lady goes over and has a nice conversation with Jim. And uh, you see the the policeman roll away. And you see Gregory Peck. He just looks devastated. Mm-hmm. And the, he says, Tom is dead. And they were transferring him from one place uh, to uh, somewhere further away for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Albany or something. And he says that he broke loose and started running. And the deputy uh, was aiming to wound, he said, but it basically shot and killed him. Um, so he decides, he takes upon himself, this is the kind of town you're in. He, This is the kind of man Atticus is. He says, I will go up to see Helen and I will tell her. So he gets his car. The little boy wants to go with him. So he gets in the car. And he goes up there, and he gets out, and uh, Tom's dad is there, and there's a whole bunch of people at the front porch, and Helen's inside laying down. And uh, his dad said, well, Mr. Finch, you know, we think, what do you think of the pill or whatever? He said, well, there ain't going to be an pill no more. 
Tom's dead. Mm-hmm. And this is where my emotions got to me is when Helen comes out the door and she just looks at him and he's looking at her and he takes his hat off and then she just collapses to the ground, you know? Yeah. And they get her inside. Man, it's such a powerful moment in this movie. Uh, it just got to me. And then you have uh, the drunk guy. I can't think of his name. Uh, the, 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 the guy the that father, is actually the, the guy who actually committed the crime. Right. Yeah. Uh, he comes up and he says, you tell, you tell him to come out here. So uh, Atticus come out here. So Atticus comes out and if this would have been me this would have went down differently because he comes right face to face with him and that guy spits on Atticus dude right on the face and you could tell Atticus was about to do something but -hmm. instead what does he do he just reaches down into his pocket pulls out a handkerchief and he just wipes the spit off his face puts it in his pocket and then he gets in his car walks by him gets in his car and drives away so I don't know how much time has passed between this. Uh, it's got to be a little bit, I think. Some period of time, because obviously a, a holiday event happens during the town. The Halloween. Have, Halloween, yeah. Right. Halloween happens. And so she's going to be, Scout's going to be in this play or whatever, and she is going as a ham. <laughs> now, you got to see it to believe it, because I was like, oh, we just went through this trial. What is the world is this? Mm-hmm. So, um, and the, another funny thing is, is they go in there and the, the, the show's over, and they come out. And she said, come on. He, the Jim's like, come on. I'm, I'm not waiting all day. I'm, go, I'm leaving. She said, she comes out. She's still in the ham costume. And you're like, what in the world is going on? He said, well, leave it to you to lose your dress. <laughs> and your shoes. She said, I didn't lose it. I just don't know where it's at. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, the little so, details there. Yeah. So here's something I didn't understand. So they're walking through the woods. They, they're walking through the woods to get home. Everything you've seen in this movie, pretty much, it was pretty much on the main road, except when they snuck over to the neighbor's house, remember? Yeah. So I don't know what that was all about. So they're walking through, and Jim says, I hear something following us. I hear something in the thing. So they keep walking, and every time they stop, it stops. So this is where, uh, next thing you know, somebody grabs Jim around the neck from behind. Jim's fine. He tells Scout to run, and uh, basically... Jim gets thrown down to the ground, pretty much unconscious, and the other one goes after, uh, and this person goes after the ham, which is Scout. And next thing you know, there's a scuffle. You don't see anything. There's just see like two people fighting, somebody trying to reach for uh, Scout, and then there's a, a thing going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe it's actually Walter Cunningham is the name of the actual the, the guy. Okay, the bad guy. So so then you see. Uh, Scout basically crawls out of her ham suit, and she sees somebody carrying uh, Jim back to the house. And you're like, what is going on? And she's running. Here she is barefoot in her pajamas, I guess we'll call them. Basically, yeah. And she gets in there, and uh, the uh, – what's her name? I can't think of the name of their uh, – the lady that lives with them. Oh, the house. Yeah. Well, no, well she says – uh, It's a uh, – I don't know she is. Uh, Estelle Evans, yeah. So uh, he says, hey, call the doctor. So they call the doctor, and uh, this is a very touching scene, too, because Jim's laying in the bed, and Atticus is in there. You know, the sheriff comes over. He calls the sheriff, and the sheriff comes over. He says, I think he'll be fine, but somebody's coming after my kids. And uh, this is where they ask Scout, hey, did you see any of this? What happened? She said, I didn't see anything. She's like, but, you know, there was somebody attacked Jim, and then somebody was attacking me, and then it stopped. And I seen somebody carrying uh, Jim back to the house. And she's like, well, 
who was it? She's like, I don't know, but you can ask him. He's standing right there, and he's standing behind the door, and I was like, oh, man, how did you not see him come in? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, But he's standing there behind the door, and it turns out to be the... um, The boy across... The 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 mentally challenged... uh, Boo Radley. Boo Radley. Um, And the way this was going, I thought Boo Radley was going to be... Um, an African-American person, just the way it was set up at the beginning of the movie, you know what I mean? And Because mm-hmm. it, it, you've never seen anything about it. And I thought, what another way to... Um, and I thought it would have been okay to do that, too, is to show, you know, thank you for your help or whatever. Yeah. But, so... And it was weird because then the sheriff, the sheriff and Atticus is talking and they're like, look, um, this guy's dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know who killed him. But... As far as I'm concerned, he fell on his own knife. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, they're yeah. not going to... Like, basically, justice was served in its own way. In its own way, yeah. Because like, neither one of them is upset about the death of uh, you know Walter Cunningham because he was an evil person, an absolutely awful person. And then, of course, and then getting Boo Radley involved to officially have to, you know, be confronted for having to defend that kid's life and all kind of stuff. Like, yeah, that makes him, like, either a town hero or a villain in some people's eyes. And, like, it might be more vilified than what he is right now. Exactly. And that just, that just increases the visibility on his life and all kind of stuff in a way that would be detrimental to him. There's no way that, like, you know, more attention would not help Boo Radley in that era at all. And we don't know if he could even communicate with him because he doesn't say a single word. Yeah, the entire Now, When uh, the sheriff and Atticus goes out, the girl's in there with Abu, and she says, "You can pet him if you want to." He said, "Just he's asleep, he's asleep right now. He's out, he, but just don't do it when he's awake." So Robert Duvall leans over and he pets the pets it like his hair, which mm-hmm. is weird. And then uh, Boo or Scout and Boo go out. She grabs his hand and they go out hand to hand and they sit on the swing because. If you notice throughout the whole entire movie, there's always a swing on the front porch of the house that's dilapidated where he lives. So I don't know if he goes out there and swings all the time, maybe. So they're sitting there, and that's where they come up with that plan. So, um, and then basically the movie ends. Um, a powerful movie, uh, all inspiring movie. But Kyle, I'll let you go first and tell me what you think. Yeah, I, I think this is uh, an excellent film. Um, incredible for its era, especially. Um, even tackling that kind of subject matter in 1962 can be seen as rather controversial. And um, similarly, when we covered when we um, covered the movie in the heat of the night, there's still there's still lessons there that are um, uh, still need to be learned <laughs> to a degree, and a lot of painful truths that still need to be confronted and dealt with. Um, this film does a very adequate job of covering those issues and giving a kind of a, a clear view of like what's morally right and morally wrong. Um, I will say it's, I think there's sometimes, uh, the problematic view that only, um, uh, kind of like a white and more privileged of us have the ability to look beyond race and that people that are in a lower class or, um, say the more off, off color term, but white trash basically are incapable of being sympathetic towards, um, people of other races or people they don't understand, which I think is apparently absurd. And I think this film maybe does a bit of a job of reinforcing that stereotype to some degree, which I think is unfortunate. But that's not an intentional mistake by any degree, so it wasn't intentionally done. But I do think this is a powerful film that does a lot to uh, depict how cruel the world can be and also what we need to look for in the future. Um, and that still stays true today to some degree. We've definitely certainly come a long way in some respects, but not nearly far enough in many others. So excellent. I think it's an excellent film that stands on its own 
and also a good lesson for a lot of people to see. So overall, I think it's a great film. It's absolutely um, it's a must-watch if you're a cinema fan to any degree. I think it's an important film, and uh, I encourage anyone to watch it. Jimbo, how do you feel? <laughs> man, it was uh, when I fr- this was my first viewing. I've seen the courtroom scene several times, but man, when you start this movie, you're like, "What am I watching?" Uh, to me, I was like, "Well, where are we going with this?" Because I had read the synopsis, and I was like, "This has nothing to do with the courtroom scene." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, the kids get on your nerves at times, but you you got to think that they've lost their mom at some point in their life. You don't know when. You don't know how. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe Scout, that's why she was always like a tomboy. Because if you remember, she dressed up in a dress one day to go back to school. And the, he absolutely hated it. It was her first day to school, yeah. actually, yeah. And they were, they were, and the uh, her brother was making fun of her. Um, so she may not have that mothering, nurture nature, you know, to teach her that stuff. Even though they have somebody that lives with them to help take care of some of that stuff. Um, Gregory Peck just absolutely killed this movie. Um yeah. You watch him and every scene he was in, he's he's just captivates your attention. Um so well spoken. Um uh, yeah, he, he, every he play, situation he's in, he he plays it with a perfect quiet dignity that uh, very few actors could do um at all in in past present future. It's incredibly difficult to play a role that kind of sincerely righteous and mm-hmm. uh he does it he, he made it look effortless oh which yeah. would uh you know it it takes a whole lot more effort to make it look like you had anything but <laughs> you know um so gregory pack absolutely um deserves all the credit he received for this role of um doing an excellent job there actors, was some pretty you know. cool uh shadows and lightning uh lighting in this movie too if you remember when they go to uh look in the window mm-hmm. and you see on the 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 shadow coming on the the, the wall of the side of the house yeah, pretty well. Didn't remind me of uh, Nosferatu when he was coming up the stairs. Yeah, this is this is an excellent. Uh, you know, they had a, they had a smaller budget and also a tool set much more limited than we have now for a lot of things. But these were these are definitely filmmakers who like if they were if they were here today, they'd be making excellent films with the technology they had and doing the cool things with it versus today. Like they were using everything they had back then to its maximum capability. You know, do you think this should ever be remade? No and yes, uh, you know you can. Uh, I I don't see the need to. That's the thing. Where it's like, I, you know, I don't think necessarily think it should. It, should it be remade? No, necessarily. But like, you know, it can be remade. It's not something I'm against um, being tackled again. Obviously, it's still a serious subject matter, and it's and we. It's a more difficult era to make that kind of film too. Um, you know, because any like any depiction at all at this point. Um, kind of reinforces bad years. I mean, we had films like like now, like 12 Years of Slave or other movies of similar kind of aspects of it where it's like, you know, you can acknowledge that racism is there, um, but how does it serve modern sensibilities or, or um, modern uh, uh, efforts to um, further uh, uh, equality by just depicting um, black people being mistreated again? Um, there, there's kind of like a... It's, it's kind of played like a joke um, on some online media now, but it's like all corporations, we're celebrating Black History Month this February. And then the depiction of every single one is like a black person being treated by a slave or brutalized by the police or something like that. And it doesn't actually celebrate any tri- triumph in black history, nothing like that. And unfortunately, it focuses on all the ways they're mistreated throughout history. And I think that eventually becomes a negative stereotype where it's just like, you don't see anything that black people can do to be successful, but all you do is just see how white people hurt them. And that's 
not fair to a black race. That's 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 not the whole story about what black people have achieved in their lives or what people of color or other minorities have achieved. It shouldn't be showing like how we mistreated them all the time. It should be about how they are great people in their own right mm-hmm. and need to be treated with that kind of respect. So well, that's where I kind of feel about if it. <laughs> if they did remake it, I'd like it to be a shot for shot exact remake because it would be hard to do the kids today because kids don't even know how to go outside now. You know what I mean? Um, I would like to see a shot for shot remake. I think they did that with Psycho. Um, even though it was terrible, um, but I think in this case it could work for you. You think? I think yeah. it would work. Um, mm-hmm. But then again, you're gonna have to get through all the censorships and all that, so I don't know how it would be perceived. But then, yeah. and then who are you gonna get to play somebody like Gregory Peck? I don't think there is anybody right now that could that Mike could Myers, do it. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Myers, yeah. That, <laughs> Sorry. Um, Sorry. No, but I'm just um, saying I don't think there is. I, I I couldn't think of somebody that I think that could handle that role. And do it with the justice that would need to be done the way that Gregory Peck that, handled that's, it. I, I, I couldn't imagine doing a shot for shot remake like that just just because of that reason. Like, yeah, you mm-hmm. can't have a Gregory Peck. You can't you can't have. <laughs> Will you get his name right once I, before we end this podcast? Gregory Peck. Okay. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Words are hard. <laughs> just be like in Willow, where he's like Peck, 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 Peck. peck. <laughs> yeah, uh, Gregory Peck is a great actor, and so like that's kind of original. You can't remake that film and have it be shot for shot because you can't remake. His the way he played that role, he just can't do that. I don't think any actor really could. Um, and if they did, it's like you, it's it, it invites an unfair comparison because like no one's gonna, everyone's gonna fall short of Gregory Peck. So you have to do it differently. You know, you have to play a man who, who might be even even closer to more of the middle of the road man that the real life um, attorney was based on. You know, the real life you know character was based on maybe someone who's a little more middle of the road and has a bit more of a challenge even defending a black person on the sake of justice and not on the sake of equality looking forward to it. And that adds a bit more of a gray area to it where like even the people defending you aren't the best people in the world and they have that kind of nuance of grayness in the way of just like it was a slow difficult battle to continue to get this kind of level of equality we have now and hopefully improve into the future it's been a very slow process and you have to recognize how slow that is if you ever want to increase the speed of it it's not just like it's not one man who is incredibly aggressive for his time that sets the world to a better space it's everyone together learning to be better to each other and that kind of that's the overall goal and motivation for a lot of society it's not just like, you know, you can have the most aggressive person in the world, but if no one listens to them, society is still going to say the same. You know, so that's, I think that's something that'd be more interesting to challenge in like a remake or a, something like that in a film, I would say personally. But that's kind of my view. Well, <sighs> well, there you have it. What a deep film that we just <laughs> discovered. Film, um, and, and I'll say also, we, we, we came with this kind of very little bit of trepidation, a little bit of caution because, like, even talking about the subject matter, you, you feel like there's a lot of a lot of potential pot, you know, pitfalls of like you could say something that's really inappropriate and not realize it. Mm-hmm. So we, we tried to handle this as carefully as possible. If we did say anything wrong, absolutely, we're, we're sorry for that. But also, it's like it's 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 there's a lot of difficult subjects about that because it is like every person who's mystery in this film is still mystery to some degree today, and it's easy to fall into some of the um, the regular regular things that people do that miss, that continue to reinforce negative stereotypes or any kind of other you know reoccurring aspect of negative portrayals mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's difficult to avoid all of those right so know, I, I mean them. I would put this up there like 12 Angry Men um, I had it when we did the podcast on that and we I was watching it researching it upstairs you know I had it on and my son stopped and my wife stopped and, and they just started watching and it's just guys sitting around a jury room uh, the whole film, except for like the beginning and the end, is they are in a jury room for like two hours of the movie or hour and a half, whatever. And I was talking to my son the other day, and I said, Cameron, I said, what's the um, what's the best movie you've ever seen? And he told me, he said, 
12 angry men. And that makes me proud because I, maybe he's actually learning something. <laughs> maybe I did yeah. something right somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that, and I would put this right up there with that. It is a great movie. Um, it's just stuff to be learned from a movie like this is is great. So, but if we keep talking, we'll, we could sit here and talk about this movie for hours, probably all day. Yeah, yeah. So because mm-hmm. the search matter affects everything. It's and all Kyle life. is sleep yeah. deprived, so I was really worried how this was going to get. You're sleep deprived too. To be I am. I am really. Uh, I've, I've only got like an hour and a half sleep before recording this, so uh, probably crash as soon as Kyle leaves. Mm-hmm. But if you want to join us on our Facebook group, it is the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast group on Facebook. Um, Kyle is starting TikTok. Hopefully, sometime. Yes, uh, he I keeps get saying on that. It, you know, any any day now, any day now. Just <laughs> stop reminding me every three months, Jimbo. It's annoying. Uh, if you want to, if you want to check out our merchandise, it's uh, on Redbubble. Uh, there's an app, or you can just go to redbubble.com and just search the Tragedy of Cinema. You'll see merchandise, the old merchandise, the new merchandise, the Twilight Zone merchandise. It's all on there. So. If you get a if you get something off there, just take a picture and post it on the Facebook site, and uh, we'll love you for it. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I'll love you for it. And in general, in the off chance this is your first podcast, let you know we usually cover a lot more high, light-hearted subject matter. You know, we're not really usually, but we also cover light-hearted subject matter where we joke and have fun. <laughs> right. So, uh, so um, we got a couple. This this next round of about eight movies, um, we took a lot from the top one hundred. So you're going to see like. King Kong's coming up, and I think Chinatown, and um, some other stuff like that. But we're also going to throw in one for the ladies. We're going to do Pretty Woman. So A classic. Yeah, yeah, we're going to see how Kyle one feels for the about. ladies and for Kyle. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, pretty Woman. So that face classic. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. So there's a. Uh, we're going to do like Close Encounters of the Third Kinds one. Um, just several several of the classics that I haven't either never seen or I haven't saw them in forever. And I don't remember what happened. So, well, I think, Kyle, this has been a great episode. Um, I think it's coming to an end. Do you got anything, Dad? Racism is bad. Uh, well, there you have it. That pretty much sums it up. So, yeah. with that being said, this episode's Sorry. coming to a close. And that's a wrap. And cut.